What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. All right. Uh, welcome, everyone. As Harrison has already introduced me, my name's Ryan Vigis. I'm uh, one of the student ministers here at this church. Uh, and it's my privilege to open up this new series, this first talk in 1 John. And I really love 1 John. It was my suggestion that we do this series. So if you hate it, it's, you know, come blame me. Uh, but I really love 1 John. It's uh, a really clear book about what following Jesus looks like. And I love 1 John particularly because he loves Jesus and uh, he wants to encourage us as we look at these, these chapters to love Jesus too. Uh, so uh, we're gonna dig into this over seven weeks looking at the whole book. Uh, if you 
if you like uh, kind of preparing in advance, I'd encourage you to read through the book. It wouldn't take you very long, probably about 15 minutes at some point, and just get a sense of the whole and uh, appreciate how much uh, John loves Jesus. But I, I know I love 1 John quite a lot. We had it at our wedding uh, as the sermon and you know, had a little banner with the verses uh, on it. Uh, I've memorized 1 John at one point uh, when I had a sharper mind uh, before children. And uh, I, I just really uh, think it's a valuable book for us to know. And I don't know how well you know 1 John. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it before. I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about the things that it says. Uh, but I want to test you to see how well you know 1 John. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a quiz, you know, it's, uh, it's just heads or tails. It's very easy. You can, you can pretty much guess your way to the end if you, uh, 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 you know, get the right answer. Uh, but uh, this is going to be a competition. <coughs> it's not just a competition within your congregation. I'm going to be keeping track and comparing the different congregations to see which congregation knows 1 John well, okay? So 8.45, this is your time to shine. The way this is going to work, everyone's going to stand up, and there's going to be a question on the screen, and you're, you're going to either have to choose heads or tails, okay? So you have to do a visual heads or tails. If you get it right, you get to stay standing. If you get it wrong, you have to sit down, okay? And there's going to be, it's going to be quick, so if you don't make a decision by the time I count down three, two, one, you're out, okay? Harsh rules, make a decision, let's go, okay? Let's have a practice, everyone stand up. Here's the first question, hopefully not too difficult, but you know, could be, trick, uh, could be a trick question, here we go. Who is the author of 1 John, okay? Make a decision, heads or tails, three, two, one, lock it in, Okay. If your hands are on your heads, you're right, stay standing. John is the author of 1 John. Well done, well done. It's going to get harder, okay. <clears throat> How many books in the New Testament are attributed to John? Heads, if you think four. Tails, if you think five. Okay, now we're getting some differentiation. Four or five, you've got to lock it in in three, two, one, lock it in. If your hands are on your head, sit down. <laughs> it's tricky because... There's the Gospel of John, there's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, but then the one that no one remembers, Revelation. It's not got his name in it, except at the start of the actual letter. All right, here we go. We keep going. What is a significant issue that he's addressing in this letter? Okay, is he addressing the persecution of the church or the presence of false teachers? All right, lock it in. Three, two, one. If your hands are on your head, sit down. He's talking about the presence of false teachers in this letter. Next question. How many chapters in 1 John? Heads if you think four, tails if you think five. Lock it in. Three, two, one. If your hands are on your head, sit down. If you can read tiny font, there's a giveaway on the image which says chapter five. I know, I know. Reading, it comes in handy. All right, here we go. How does he start the letter? Heads, that which was from the beginning, or tails, John, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully you were paying attention to the Bible reading, so this might be a, this might be a test for those who did it. Lock it in. Three, two, one, and if your hands are on your tails, Jay, uh, uh, you, you didn't listen to the Bible reading? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's tricky. 
And I understand why you're tricked, because John starts his letter very differently to all the other um, letters. So next question, how does he end the letter? Keep yourselves from idols or grace and peace to you all? Heads or tails? Here we go. Uh, Lock it in. Three, two, one. If your hands are on your hips, please have a seat. It's keep yourselves from idols. What a strange way to end the letter. Starts weird, ends weird. How good. Okay, here we go. What is a stated purpose of this letter? So what does he say is why he's writing this letter? Is it to remind them of grace alone, or is it to remind them of eternal life? Oh, we've got some marriage difference here. Here we go. That's excellent. That's what we like to see. Uh, Okay, three, two, one. If your hands are on your head, sit down. All right. I don't know if there's anyone still in the cry room now. So we've got... Our final four, I think. Here we go. Okay, three more questions. What, who do most people think it's written to? So in the letter, it's not really clear. He doesn't have an audience that he's addressing to. But lots of commentaries, lots of people have researched and have thought about who he might have written it to. Is he writing to the Asians, hands on your heads, or is he writing to the Romans, hands on your hips? Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, lock it in. If your hands are on your heads, stay standing. So I know, tricky. I mean, I've I've written Asians there. It was a bit of a, you guys got my little uh, cheeky comment. Because back then, he was writing, most people think he's writing to Turkey, which is called Asia Minor. And so Asians, anachronistic, you know, not the word that they would have used, but we get it. Okay. What are three key words from this book? Heads, if you think it's loyal, love of life, and tails, if you think light, love, life. Hopefully you've been paying attention to all the advertising. <laughs> lock it in. Three, two, one. That's right, it is light, love, life. You look pretty nervous, though. <laughs> all right, last question. This one's pretty tricky. This one separates the women from the ladies. It's just, I don't know. All right, which groups does John address in chapter 3? Okay, does he address saints, sinners, and false teachers, or does he address children, fathers, and young men? Decision, it's all right, just have a go. Oh, they're both committing to the same one. Interesting choice. Okay, three, two, one. It is tails. These are your winners. Two out of 845. Well done, ladies. Your prize is glory and, uh, you know, representation of this congregation uh, to the other congregations. Well, I hope that was somewhat fun, but also that uh, you got a little bit of a sense of the whole. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you were just enjoying the ride. That's okay. Um, Maybe most of the seven weeks might be enjoying the ride. Uh, But the, the, the big picture of this letter is that John wants us to know about Jesus. That, that's why we've talked about light, love, and life. They're these key words that John uses throughout the letter to help us focus our love and our, our, our adoration to Jesus. And if you've been here um, throughout uh, the last kind of seven, eight weeks, we've been doing a series about walking with Jesus. We've been looking at Luke's gospel where we've been going along with the disciples and seeing kind of their perspective of Jesus and trying to understand what they think 
uh, Jesus is about. And one of those disciples is John. So this has a bit of continuity to our last series. And John, he's known as the beloved disciple. He's one of Jesus' closest disciples. And so we're continuing kind of that focus on Jesus, but we're looking at one particular person's perspective on that. And uh, so today we're particularly going to be thinking about what uh, walking in the light looks like. And uh, we're going to look at this in two ways. We're going to uh, look at John's eyewitness testimony first. That's from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And then we're going to think about what true fellowship looks like from verse 5 to 2, verse 2. So uh, we're going to start with this first, the eyewitness testimony that John uh, speaks about in chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And as we kind of mentioned in the quiz, John's letter kind of starts in a weird way. Uh, If back then when they wrote letters, they had a bit of a formula, and that's why lots of people might have been confused by the start of this letter, because if you read lots of the other New Testament letters, they all start in a kind of similar way. Something like, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the church at X, grace and peace to you. That's kind of the normal way that lots of letters start. And in the same way, like when we write emails, we have a bit of a formula, right? Like there's a pattern that is established. And if you get an email that doesn't follow that pattern, you've got to pay attention, right? Like if it doesn't say, dear Ryan, instead it says in all caps, what are you doing? I'm like, okay, I've got to pay attention to this email. Mark is important. Deal with quickly. Um, In the same way, actually, 1 John breaks the formula so that we might pay attention, actually, so that we might change our focus to hear what he has to say uh, here. And the thing that he is really trying to establish is his credentials as a witness. Uh, So John works really hard at uh, saying, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, he's talking about what he has heard, what he has seen, what he's observed, and what he's touched, the things concerning the word of life. So John starts his letter by not using the formula so that we might focus actually on what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's observed, what he's touched, the word of life. Now, if you know something of uh, the Bible, and particularly the way John writes, you might be more familiar with John's gospel. And there's kind of famous words at the start of John's gospel, aren't there? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If If you read through John's gospel, you'll know quickly that when he talks about the Word, the word who was God, he's talking about Jesus. And, and here in our passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it's really clear that he's talking about the word of life. See, whenever we hear John use this word, word, it should be a bit of a clue to us that he's talking about Jesus. The, the thing that he's an eyewitness of, the things that he saw, heard, and touched, it's not a thing, it's a person. He wants us right from the start to know that he is an eyewitness of Jesus. And in verse 2, he tells us more about that life. He says, 
This word that was life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Jesus is not just life, one of our key kind of L words for the series. Jesus was eternal life. Uh, he's echoing what he's written in the gospel, that Jesus was God. He was with God from the beginning. He is eternal life in himself. And because he's eternal life, Jesus has the ability, the, the power, the grace to share that eternal life with those whom he wants. And that's kind of the purpose John is stating of why he's writing the letter here. In verse 3 to 4, he gives us kind of two purposes. He says he's writing this stuff so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to share in this fellowship with the Word who is life. And verse 4, he's writing these things so that his joy may be complete. Jesus, John loves Jesus so much that his greatest joy, his joy is complete when those who he's writing to know him, know him as eternal life, know him as the word of life. And I've never been to a law court. I haven't seen what it looks like in person, but I've read enough books, I've watched enough TV, I've watched enough movies to see lots of law courts in action. And I know that the testimony of an eyewitness is always really significant in a law court. Uh, that often it makes a big difference to the trial. Uh, and the testimony of the eyewitness is not the purpose of the court or the trial, is it? The, the testimony of the eyewitness is all about pointing to the guilt or, or the innocence of the person that's on trial. That the, the purpose of an eyewitness is not to make something about themselves, it's about pointing others to the thing, the person that they were witness to. And so John's joy is complete not because we read this letter or we get to think about the interesting things that he's saying, but his joy is complete when we get to see Jesus the way he does, just to love Jesus the way he does, to adore Jesus the way he does. So what's he said about Jesus so far? Well, he said to us that Jesus is from the beginning. Jesus existed even before the world began. Jesus was God in himself, but he didn't just stay separate to this world, did he? He was able to be seen, heard, and touched. As a great mystery of the gospel is that Jesus actually came in the flesh into the world. And that this eternal life came into the world so that we might also be able to share in the eternal life. And that is the basis for our fellowship, not just with each other, but our fellowship with God and with Jesus. Jesus is the way that we relate to each other. And so this four verses, this prologue, it might seem, is actually really important for not just 
what we're doing today, but for the whole letter. John is really intentional in breaking the formula because he wants us to start the way this whole letter is going to go, by our focus being on Jesus. And so if you're new here, if you're not a Christian particularly, I think this is a great series for you to uh, get to hear because I think it's really clear about how good Jesus is. Uh, and that's what we're about here at Tungabi Anglican Church. That's what has gathered us. That's what brings us into fellowship with each other and with the Father and with Jesus himself. And so we want you to know from this letter how good Jesus is. And the thing that Jesus gives us is true fellowship. He brings us into fellowship, not just with God, but with one another. And so that's going to be the second section that we're going to look at from verses 5 to chapter 2, verse 2, what true fellowship looks like. And verse 5 kind of starts with one of the great truths of this letter, and maybe one of the great truths of the whole New Testament. He says that God is light, and in him is no darkness. There is absolutely no darkness in him. God is light, and in him, darkness cannot coexist. He is pure light. Now, if you haven't done English in a while, uh, you might be a bit confused by this. You might be thinking, oh, God's like the sun. He's like a bright light. But that's not what it means. This is called a metaphor, a metaphor, uh, which, you know, he's using one thing to kind of uh, represent something else, okay? So uh, as we go through this section, you'll see at, that the way he uses light is kind of uh, a synonym, a metaphor for goodness, that God is goodness at its absolute, that he's perfectly, completely, totally good in himself. And then darkness is kind of the opposite of that, right? So Darkness is evil. There is absolutely no evil, no badness in him. The Bible kind of word for that is sin. Sin cannot coexist with God. He is so absolutely good that there can be no evil or sin in him. And so in the next two verses, in verse 6 and 7, he kind of talks about two logical truths that follow from this. If we say we have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness, well, we are lying and not practicing the truth, because darkness cannot coexist with the light. So if we say that we're in the light, but we walk in darkness, we lie. And if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, the basis of our fellowship is not ourselves. We, we can't say uh, that we have no sin. That's what he makes the point in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There's not one person in the world that could say that they have no sin in them. But verse seven says, we have fellowship with one another because of the blood of Jesus, his son, which cleanses us from all sin. 
you see, I think one of the, well, there's a couple of misconceptions that I think uh, we often get wrong here. Uh, but I think one of the key ones is that we often think that Christianity is for good people. Let me make it really clear, because John makes it really clear. Christianity is not for good people. There's not one of us who are good. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. If someone goes around and says they are a good person because they're a Christian, you can point them to this and say, I think you're actually deceiving yourself. There is not one person in this room who is good. Christianity is not for good people. And I've got a little illustration to help us. See, I think the problem is, if this water represented goodness, I think the problem is that we often think we come to the world kind of neutral, right? Or at, at best, good. At worst, neutral. Uh, but the Bible is really clear. Sin, sin is our rebellion against God. It's not just the things that we do. That's the other misconception, right? We just think sin is those bad things that we do. But this is not what sin is. Sin is actually our rebellion against God. It's our rejection against God. And every single one of us rebels against God. We reject God and don't want his way uh, in our lives. That's the default stance of most of us. And so actually, the reality is that all of us don't start good. We actually start as evil. And, you know, we might might try to do lots of good things. We might try to add some more goodness into our lives. Well, what does it do? It doesn't get rid of the sin in us, does it? It might dilute it a little bit. It might be able to cover it up a little bit better. But actually, every single one of us has sin in us. And our good actions, our good deeds, does not get rid of that sinful nature. Actually, what we need is something external to ourselves, some, someone external to ourselves who can actually deal with our sinful nature. And verse 7 has already said that. Jesus, his blood cleanses us from all our sins. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the precious truth about Christianity, is that if we confess our sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just by taking our sins on the cross and paying for it completely. And I said before that, that you know, there's not one person in the world who is without sin. Well, that's true, but there was one exception. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that he is faithful and righteous. And verse, chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, talks about Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus was the only person in the whole world, in all of history, who was faithful and righteous. And you know what? Jesus, he doesn't just come into the world neutral. Jesus is good. He is good in himself, and the more goodness he adds, the more good he is. He is perfectly good. He is light. He is the light of the world that's come in 
to cast out the darkness. And the precious truth of Christianity, the way that we can walk in the light, is that not only did Jesus pay for our sin, not not only does he take it all on himself on the cross, but he actually, he gives us his righteousness. So now we can walk in the light too. We can live like he does in obedience to God. See, John knows the severity of sin, and he knows that even though we have this righteousness in ourselves, because we live in this world, because of temptations in this world, that we might still sin. And his solution to that is that we confess our sins. If anyone does sin, chapter two, verse one, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Verse two, he himself is the atoning sacrifices for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. John is reminding us that we have this advocate. Jesus is there with the Father, and he is there for us, reminding us and the Father that we are his, that we are righteous. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. This passage is testing our claims, isn't it? It's made some comments about uh, the things that we might say. Uh, it's, it's asking about uh, what we say. Do we say that we walk in the light? Well, if we do, what do our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, our family say? Would they look at your life and actually say, well, it seems more like someone who's walking in the darkness than someone who's walking in the light? See, I think one of the saddest things, the thing, one of the things that saddens me the most is when a Christian says one thing and then does the opposite, a hypocrite. I'm guilty of this in myself, and it, but it's really sad when I see this on a big platform, you know, a, a big name who kind of falls into this. And there's been a few kind of scandals, particularly in America, of uh, big kind of influential Christians who have shown by their lives that they weren't walking in the light. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the uh, situation with uh, Ravi Zacharias. This is a guy who wrote heaps of books, who had a huge platform, would preach Jesus to big groups of people, and I think has, has seen people come to faith in Jesus. But recently, there's been stories that some of his employees were sexually uh, abused by him which is a tragedy, right? It's, a, it's heartbreaking. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know the situation in detail, but when I heard of it, it broke my heart because I read his books. I was encouraged by him. I knew that he had a great ministry. And it made me ask the question of what does it look like for someone to have fellowship with God if something of their lives is showing that they're actually walking in darkness and not living out the truth. And the solution is not to lie better, is it? It's, it's not to try to cover ourselves up better. And you might be thinking, well, 
now I'm not sure. Like there are things that are in my life, habitual sins that I keep falling back into. Am I walking in the light or am I walking in the darkness? You know those kind of sins where you might look at your neighbor and think, oh, they've got another shiny toy. I wish I had something like that, something cool. Or you might talk to your colleagues who are talking about investment properties and uh, getting on the property market and you just think, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could buy more properties so that we're just better set up as a family for life. Or it might be, you know, in light of Easter, it might be that sinful, repeated pattern of relating to someone in your family. That, you know, you kind of go in to the family gathering and you go, it's going to be better this time. I'm going to be on my A game. It's going to be a good positive interaction. I'm going to be a faithful witness of Jesus. But, you know, as soon as you start talking to them, you just keep butting heads again and falling into that unhelpful, sinful, ungodly practice. And so, you know, there's lots of other habitual sins. And I've certainly uh, fallen into lots of these at different times. And And you might be wondering, well, what does that mean? Am I walking in the light or am I walking in the darkness? Well, I think that's actually the wrong question from what 1 John uh, is encouraging us to remember. See, the focus in 1 John isn't on John. The focus in on 1 John isn't on us. Remember, the focus of 1 John is on Jesus. And so maybe the right question to ask is, Am I still confessing those sins to Jesus? Am I still trusting that he is faithful and righteous, that he is my advocate to the Father to cleanse me from all righteousness? Now, I I don't want to be one of those people who... Uh, uh, come out and uh, am and, and seen as a fraud, as a hypocrite. So I've put a few different systems in my life to help me not walk in those habitual sins, but I know that I'll still fall in that and that those systems aren't the thing that makes me right with God, that it's not my performance, my action that makes me right with God, that it's actually Jesus who makes me right with God. That's Jesus who helps me when I confess That it's Jesus who is light in himself that actually helps me to walk in the light. And so one of the great opportunities of coming to church, of what we do every week, is that we we do this prayer of confession. James led us in that at the start of the service. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we do that every service. And that's a reminder to us that we still sin, but we have an advocate with the Father, the righteous one who cleanses us from our sin. It's an opportunity, it's not a ritual, it's not something we have to do, it's not something, you know, there's a checkbox, we've done our confession and now we're right with God. But it's a, it's a reminder every week for us as we come from whatever walks of life we've come from to confess again to Jesus knowing that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us from our sins, knowing that we have this advocate with the Father. And so maybe when James led us in that prayer of confession, you kind of, you know, it kind of glazed over you, and you didn't really think about the significance of that. But I'd really encourage you, as we come to church, 
to make the most of that prayer, to give it a hearty amen. And actually, today, we're going to spend some time, again, just confessing together our sins. So I'm going to give us about 30 seconds just for you to reflect on the ways that maybe you have rejected God, the ways that you might have wandered from him, that you've forgotten Jesus this week and his goodness. And then there's going to be a prayer of confession, which I'd encourage us to pray together, uh, which will be on the screen. And we can pray that knowing that Jesus is righteous uh, to forgive us our sins. So take 30 seconds, uh, reflect on that, and then we'll pray a prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer. Hopefully you can read that on the screen. If not, uh, just pray it in your heads and give that hearty amen. But feel free to join with me in this prayer. Let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us, Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time or the hundredth time, the, the great encouragement from 1 John is that Jesus is faithful and he is righteous and he will forgive our sins. He will purify us from all our unrighteousness. We can walk free in the light, in his light, because he has given us his righteousness. I hope you see it as we have gone through just this first part of 1 John, that it's all about Jesus, isn't it? The purpose of John's eyewitness testimony was to help us focus our eyes again on Jesus, the eternal life in himself. And not only that, but that Jesus gives us true fellowship, true fellowship with God and true fellowship with one another because he is light and he allows us to walk with others who are in the light. Let's walk this week in the light with our eyes fixed on Jesus again.